Tonight we got a teaching by Joe and Brian on aftermath and recovery from the fall. Um, I don't think there's any announcements except CTs this week at four. No and fun prayer. allowed this week. Prayer Sunday. Prayer Practice Sunday. Prayer. Which at the study center. Yeah, I don't know. Are we? Do we have to reserve it? Forgot I think Becky's already reserved. I think Becky's already reserved. Yeah. It's usually on Friday. Yeah. So I think it's at 9.30. Um, and then LDC starts next Wednesday. So the prayer is at 9 or 9.30? Uh, let's call it 9. 9 on Sunday at the study center. All right. Bring in a side dish. Breakfast. Side dish. Yeah, we'll just post we'll all the details. Post Cool. Joe? All right. So as you guys can see, we're going to be in Genesis 3. Does somebody want to start us off with some prayer? Lord, thank you that we could get together tonight. It's so sweet of the Smiths to open up their house to us so that we could meet together. We want to pray for Joe and Brian. Yes, Brian. Tonight, as they share what you have laid on their hearts. Yeah, Lord, I just thank you that um, from the beginning we had a plan because we are such rebellious creatures, and you certainly didn't have to come up with a plan to rescue us, but I'm I'm really grateful that you did. So I just thank you for that. Yeah, God, we'll just do second those prayers. Yeah, really thankful that, um, you know, we get into trouble in the third chapter here. Um, You know, it takes only a few uh, pages before we get into trouble, but uh, you had a plan all along to rescue us. So just thank you for that. I pray for our study tonight that you'd be speaking through me and through Brian and through your word, Lord. Amen. Amen. Okay, so we're going to be studying the fall. We got into it a little bit last week. It's uh, Maybe it's appropriate we're studying the fall because the weather is changing, right? <laughs> I'm wearing flannel. <laughs> I'll be here. I'll be here all night. Okay, so we're not talking about that fall. That's not the right fall. Okay, we're talking about, remember, Adam and Eve. We're in the Garden of Eden. They were enjoying a really intimate and cool relationship with the creator of the universe, with God, um, as we were all created to do. Um, And then Satan crept in and turned things upside down. So recall from last week, Satan had this strategy that he unleashed on poor Adam and Eve. Um, And they succumbed to the temptation. So he started off by questioning God and his word. He was saying, has God really said this? I don't know if God really said that. Um, And then he was denying God. Hey, you're not going to die if you eat that fruit, like God said. And then he provided this uh, phony, cheap alternative that they could become like God. The reason God doesn't want you to do this thing he said not to do is because if you do it, You're going to be like God, and God's holding out on you. Um, And he doesn't want that, but you should really give it a try. Um, So, unfortunately, 
Genesis 3, 6, they take the bait. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took some of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband with her, and he ate. So they do the deed. They decide to eat. Um, Eve is led astray by the serpent. Adam is really absent as a leader. You know, he's just kind of following along with what happens, uh, and they eat the fruit. So they turn away from God and decide that they're going to make things work without him. And they do their own thing. And from here on out, really, that describes the default state of all humankind since then. You know, because of this choice that was made in the garden by Adam and Eve to go their own way and become like God, they could do it on their own. They didn't need God. We're all kind of born into that same predicament, into a world that's impaired, distorted, and damaged. It's not like it should be. It's not like God designed and it's full of alienation, namely from God. So I'm going to be using this word a lot tonight, alienation, and I thought maybe it's appropriate to define it if we're going to use it a lot. And really, when I'm talking about alienation, I'm talking about, well, it's right there. The state or experience of being isolated from a group or an activity to which one should belong or be involved in. So... Alienation, we're talking about estrangement, separation, um, division, or divorce. So this, this is what happened when Adam and Eve decided to go their own way. They became separated. And really this teaching is all about um, what happened then, kind of the state that we're in, but how we can overcome this alienation that we inherently have and were born into. If we look at the world today... We have more ways to connect than ever, right? There's all these apps and phones and watches, and it's just impossible not to be connected, right? Not to be wrong. So we have more ways to be connected than ever, and somehow we're more lonely, isolated, and alienated than ever. So I put these stats up at a recent teaching. I'll put them up here again. This is 2019. Um, the Barner Research Group came out with this study called The Connected Generation. Um, so some alarming statistics on loneliness and isolation here. So one-third of 18 to 35-year-olds say, I often feel deeply cared for those around me. So that means two-thirds are not feeling deeply cared about. So an even smaller percentage reports feeling that somebody believes in me. And then sadly, two out of five of these young adults claim to be optimistic about the future. So pretty bleak statistics here. Uh, so that's 2019. So what happens in 2020 and 2021? Uh, well, we have uh, the global pandemic. We have COVID. And did that make things any better? Uh, it did not. So Harvard Graduate School of Education came out with a study just this year through the Making Caring Common Project called Loneliness in America. So you guys can see the statistics here, they're not good. 36% of American adults reported serious loneliness, feeling lonely frequently or almost all of the time. This included 61% of young people and 51% of mothers with young children. That's like a lot, right? More than half of mothers with young children feel lonely almost all of the time. 
43% of young adults reported increases in loneliness since the outbreak of the pandemic. So about half of the lonely young adults in our survey reported that no one in the past few weeks had even taken more than just a few minutes to ask how they were doing or be genuinely cared about. 63% of young adults are suffering significant symptoms of anxiety or depression. So things are really, really bad, right? When we look at this, this problem of loneliness and alienation. So maybe you're here tonight and you're feeling that way. You're feeling lonely. You're feeling isolated. You're feeling alienated. You're feeling like nobody cares about you. Um, I just encourage you that that's not the case, that we care about you, that God cares about you. It's not a random occurrence that you're here tonight. You're here because God wanted you to be here. Praise God that you, you came. And the good news is there is a solution to this predicament um, that, that started in the garden, right? There's a solution, and it really works, and God wants you to hear that solution here tonight. So what's cool, what I think is awesome, is the Bible, I feel, offers really the only explanation to this alienation problem that makes sense and the only solution that's going to truly work. So I think the common viewpoint is like the Dr. Phil viewpoint of the day, where Dr. Phil says you're unhappy because you're not focused enough on yourself and you've got to do what is going to make you happy. And if you do that hard enough, maybe you're going to be happy. Well, it turns out the more we focus on self, the worse the problem gets. These young people, um, certainly I don't think we're going to accuse young people of um, not focusing hard enough on themselves. So I don't think that that's the problem. I think the problem is more like my neighbor here. <laughs> so I took a picture of my neighbor. Please don't, please don't tell my neighbor I took a picture of his house. Does he have a garage door? Does he yes. has a garage door? It's Sometimes it's shut. Okay. Very so awkward. I'm not, we love our neighbor. I try to help my neighbor. I plow my neighbor's driveway. We're trying to get out to know our neighbor. So this is not me making fun of my neighbor. But my point here is we are not designed to live a lonely, isolated life without God. Just like my neighbor's tractor is not designed to sit out there in the yard 365 days a year, right? There's a lot going on in this picture, but I want you guys to focus on the tractor that's in the yard all the time, right? You can't leave a tractor out in the yard like this. You know, it seems like the tractor is free. The tractor is getting to do whatever it wants. It's not constrained by the garage or locked up in a shed. It's not restricted, right? But this is not how a tractor was designed to be. It turns out this is bad for a tractor to be lonely and isolated in the front yard like this. As a matter of fact, my neighbor had a tractor previous to this tractor that was also relatively new. And a few years ago, when he went to start that tractor in the spring, it didn't work. And he had to get a new tractor. And I wonder why, because the tractor's not designed to live like this, right? And my point here is being silly. Again, I'm not trying to rag on my neighbor. I wish you would ask for help if he needs help parking the tractor. 
but my, my point is we're not designed to live lonely and isolated. We're designed to live as God intended us to live in community with him. Does he leave that thing out in the winter? They leave that thing out in the winter. Okay, so let's get into the passage. We'll talk a little bit about the effects of the fall and then how we can overcome them. So Genesis 3, 7. When the eyes of both of them were open, so Adam and Eve ate the fruit, their eyes were open, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves waist coverings. So... Nice tape. Nice tape. Yeah, this is a family-friendly presentation. (laughs) Don't want want anybody to take exception with anything that's up there. So immediately, what's the first thing that they experience when they bite into this fruit? Their eyes are open. They all of a sudden knew that they're naked, and then they have to cover up. So they experience embarrassment and shame. Um, they experience psychological alienation. So immediately, the image of themselves is impacted. They're no longer satisfied. They try to hide. To this day, not many of us are satisfied with ourselves. Uh, for good reason, too. We feel inadequate. We feel shame. We feel guilt that we want to cover up. I think some of this is because we are guilty. We know that there's something wrong, and we try to cover that up by acting like we have it together, by acting like we're cool, by acting like we're competent, um, and we don't let people see the real us. We try to modify ourselves to gain acceptance and to gain love from other people, and we're putting on a facade. Ultimately, if you put on a facade, if you act like somebody you're not with people, if you play this game, it leaves us more lonely, right? We're lonely because people don't know what's going on. They don't know the real us. So we don't act like the real us. So people never get to know the real us. We're acting like somebody else and people don't see us leads to more alienation when we try to cover things up like this. So Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? So if you do this for long enough, you deceive other people and you put on a facade and you act like everything's fine, You start to believe the lie, and you forget what's true. And we need God to step in again and show us who we are. And the only way to deal with shame and guilt like this, alienation, is to let Jesus deal with it. This is why Jesus came, to deal with our sin and our guilt. So we can have freedom from alienation and right standing with God. Does somebody want to grab this verse? He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Okay, so that's why Jesus came, to take on sin, to take on guilt on our behalf so we might become the righteousness of God in him, so we could have right standing with God. So he had a plan all along. In the garden, we were unashamed, we were free. Uh, When Adam and Eve ate this fruit after the fall, we became shameful and afraid struggling to justify ourselves. Um, And recovery looks like this. It looks like freedom in Christ from this struggle, freedom in Christ from feeling guilty, um, freedom not to act like something we're not so people accept us, because it's not based on me or what I've done. It's based on what Jesus has done for us. We take his death to count for us, and then God sees us um, through the righteousness that he has. 
So I don't have to constantly be focused on myself and how good I'm doing. I can focus on Jesus and what he's done for me and what he wants for me. And I can begin to live as I was designed to live, right? I can live caring for other people and focused on other people. So this is cool. It says, we love because he first loved us. So it's really hard to take the focus off of ourselves when we've got issues. Uh, when Jesus comes and he deals with those issues and he loves us, he fills us up with love. We don't have to generate love ourselves. We don't have to generate care for other people. Um, when we know God, when we have a relationship with him, we receive that love from him and then that love overflows to other people. So this is what healthy relationships look like. We love when people care about us and invest in us um, and, and are concerned about us. So if everybody is doing this, if everybody has love from God and doesn't worry about their needs being met, we can go and meet other people's needs, then this looks like a pretty cool community. So we'll go on here in Genesis 3, 8 through 10. So Adam and Eve heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees in the garden. Then the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? Adam said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid myself. So um, the shame of their nakedness is interrupted by God's voice. Uh-oh. So it was bad enough that we were feeling some kind of way about being naked in front of each other. But here comes God. Um, and the fact of the matter is we're alienated from him, right? We made a no-no. He said not to do something. We did that something. So now we're hiding because we're afraid. Um, so God here calls out to Adam and says, where are you? And Adam's response is kind of funny, and he's kind of full of it because he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. Well, in just the previous verse, in verse 7, it said they had already covered up themselves. So he's not naked. So Adam's lying to God um, because he's guilty, because he's busted, because he knows that he's done something wrong and is ashamed of his guilt. So it can be like this with God when we don't know God or we're estranged from God or even think back on a time before, if you do know God, before you did know God, what it was like. And maybe this rings true for you. Before I knew God, like even having a conversation about God, I didn't want to do it. I'm not even going to do it. I remember when I started dating Lauren, which is in high school, which is like a million years ago, I didn't know God. And she one time asked me, what do I think about God? I'm like, what do I think about God? I think I don't want to talk about this, right? It's like, why would, I, why would I think about what I think about God? Because this is a very difficult topic for me. I don't know God. Um, I want to hide and avoid God. Because I knew ultimately that there was an issue between me and God, and I didn't know how to deal with it, right? Because if God is God, and I think he's God, we intuitively know that God is in charge. I'm not in charge. But day to day, I wasn't living my life like God was in charge. I was living my life like I was in charge. So I knew that I had a problem with God, because I knew that he knew what I was doing, um, 
And if he was God, I had a problem because I wasn't following him. So I knew something wasn't right. Um, I knew I shouldn't be alienated like this. It's not supposed to be that way. It's like a tractor out there in the open. That's not how we're designed to live. Um, we're designed to be in a relationship with God and joined with him. So if you're here tonight and don't know God personally and haven't asked Jesus' death on the cross to count for you in your sins, I urge you to consider this decision and call out to him now. He wants to end the alienation and the isolation that you're experiencing, the relational loneliness that really stems from being alienated from your creator. He wants to end all that, but he's not going to force you to do that, right? That offers on the table. You have to choose to want it, though. So if you're here and you have prayed to receive Christ and you are a believer, but lately you've been feeling isolated and alone, um, I'm sorry that you're feeling that way. That, that sucks. Um, but maybe you've been operating autonomously apart from God. So that can also lead to feeling alienated and isolated too. So in the same way that God was looking for Adam and Eve in the garden, God is looking for you. He wants to rekindle the relationship with you just the same as he's, he wanted to start it in the first place. So don't hide. Call out to him. Get reconciled with God. Right, that offer is always on the table. Uh, Jesus died for your sins. You don't have to hide from God, especially if you know him. So I'll end with this, and then I'll turn it over to Brian. But what's really, really cool, and why Jesus went through um, the suffering he did, why he went to the cross, was this. So 2 Corinthians 5, 19 through 21. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself not counting their wrongdoings against them, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were making an appeal through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we may become the righteousness of God in him. So this is what God wants for everybody. He sent his son down for us to die on the cross so he didn't have to judge us for our sin, for our wrongdoing, so we could enter back into relationship with him, so he could end that alienation. And then once we do, the really cool thing is we can play a role too. Once we repair that relationship with God, we are his ambassadors. We can tell other people the good news and help them find that relationship with God also. So with that, I'll bring Brian up here. Brian will talk about other stuff. Other stuff. <laughs> the remaining alienation between us and God. Okay, well, you know what would be pretty nice is if we could get our minds off of ourselves for once and start developing some healthy, loving relationships. Wouldn't that be nice? Wouldn't that be kind of cool? But we got a problem. We kind of suck. <laughs> you know, in general. But we suck at relationships. It's just like one of the hardest things to do is build a relationship, start a relationship, keep one going long term. I mean, just take the internet, for example. If you go on the internet, Facebook maybe, and you just scroll through, there's people arguing everywhere, hating each other, trying to win that argument, trying to get that, that one, one, that one, that single one argument, W-O-N, right? They just want to have that one so that they can feel good for that moment. 
and then go on and maybe start another one tomorrow. If you've ever been on Reddit, it's hell. And that's basically all that happens on Reddit. In the, in the posts, you read all the comments. People are just fighting each other as hard as they possibly can to win that one little argument and go on with their day. I've won an argument on Reddit before, and it felt great for a second. In fact, Scott Pfeiffer printed me out a certificate of winning an argument on Reddit. <laughs> or, uh, you know, take... Um, just comments on your posts every now and then. Guess what happened to me yesterday? Bright and early in the morning, I got a notification that someone commented on one of these posts on my Instagram, which is an alternate account. I don't even really use it that much. There's no one there. But someone found a post by me and commented on a silly video of a video game. They wrote that uh, my life is probably horrible, and they wouldn't be surprised if I committed suicide. <gasps> What's up with that? What is wrong with people? We don't just suck at relationships. Sometimes we suck at just being decent human beings. Now, I don't know what's going on with this guy, but I'd be willing to bet he doesn't have any friends when he's talking to people like that. What's he even gained from such a thing? Do you think that right after he posted that, like, he felt better about himself? I don't get it. Nothing in this video was, like, confrontational at all. It was a silly video game video. It makes no sense. But... I think we see this in general in our daily lives, right? Relationships, they're just hard. And, I, and this brings us to this next verse here in Genesis, verse 12 says, The man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me some of the fruit of the tree, and I ate. See, this is God confronting Adam and Adam's response here. John actually mentioned this in the comments last week. But... What he's doing here is he's blame shifting. God's saying, hey, did you eat this stuff? And he's like, well, yeah, but it was the woman, actually, that you gave me. She gave the fruit to me, and then I ate. So, like, it's not really my fault. It's that girl and you, right? So he's trying to get it all, all the weight off of himself in this moment with God. This is the first instance recorded in history of relational alienation or sociological alienation as we'll call it. And really from this point forward it only gets worse. You don't have to read much further in Genesis to see someone kill a dude. Like it only gets worse. Um and this is not right. This is the opposite of, of what God wants for us in our relationships, the way he wants us to be relating with other people. He wants us to have healthy relationships where there is real love going on. He wants for us to be able to because we have loving relationships, be able to go out and love other people as well. And he enables us to do that in two ways. The first way is when we come to know Christ, right? We, we get indwelled with the Holy Spirit. Now, all of a sudden, God is empowering us from within inside of us. He comes inside of us to be able to uh, uh, do things that would otherwise be impossible without him there. Uh, which basically is like love, otherwise impossible without him. The second way, when we have a relationship with Christ, when we have accepted his forgiveness, is our issue with our own identity is settled. We are no longer uh, concerned about who we are when we have this uh, relationship with Christ. This is a very important thing to have settled when it comes to relationships, when it comes to trying to love other people. Is when we don't have Christ involved in our relationships, when he's not at the center, all of a sudden we're trying to take 
uh, from other people to get our sense of identity, a sense of significance. We end up identifying ourselves by those other relationships, by the other people around us. We, we can't produce our own identity from within ourselves. Like, there's no standard inside of our brains in order to, com- to like compare our identity against, right? Like, our own thoughts have no, no standard on that. Instead, we get it from another source, whether it be family, friends, coworkers, whatever, spouses, even sometimes just like your hobbies, the places you like to go become your identity. Whatever it is, it has to come from somewhere or someone. And typically, we gain significance from other people, from uh, their like acceptance of us, their approval of us. Do they think we're cool or not? You know, I, I'm pretty sure that my uncle blocked me on Facebook because I didn't like his daily encouragement posts. Which I gotta tell you, these things were so lame. <laughs> but one time at, at, at uh, Easter lunch, he confronted me. He said, why don't you like my posts? And he didn't mean like, like them. He meant like, why am I not pressing like? And maybe he meant, maybe he thinks that not pressing like means I don't actually like, like those things. It could be the case. Either way, not long after that, I had no way to talk to my uncle ever again. I don't get it. But (laughs) this is some of the the petty ways people do get significance in their lives is those sort of interactions even, especially today. It hasn't always been that way, obviously. You know, social media hasn't always been around, but people do take a lot of their, their worth feelings from whether or not people are interacting with these things on, uh, that they post, even if it's like the dumbest encouragement post. Uh, it was stuff like, go outside today and, and f- tell yourself you're good. Stuff like that. Like It was horrible. I, I mean, I was happy, but at least he was doing something good with his time, but I don't have the time every single day to find these things and press the like button. Okay. Now, the real problem here is, is, is when we're going around and we're getting our, our identity from so many other sources, this person, that person, this thing and that thing, it just becomes exhausting, right? We end up not knowing who we are anymore. We have no clue, especially when it comes to people, what they really even want from us. We're trying to impress people. We're trying to gain people's approval, but we have no idea what's going on in their head. Do they really think what we just did was cool or what we said was funny or whatever? Are they laughing for, for just to give us some pity or whatever? We have no idea. You know, if I knew that my uncle desperately cared that much, maybe I would have made the attempt so that I didn't get you know, no longer able to talk to him ever again, basically. I would have. But, but it's really like we're all still stuck in high school, uh, depending on everyone's opinion of us. You know, I don't know if you can remember that far back. I still can. It's been a while. And I remember constantly feeling like, what are people thinking as I'm walking through the halls? Do they hear my music in my headphones? Do they think that's cool? Do I have the right shoes on today? You know, I, I couldn't get it out of my head every single day. And, and it only grows later on in life. In the workplace, you start to think, does that coworker like me? And is my boss actually thinking this sort of way? And if that's where you get your significance, very quickly, you're going to be feeling bad about it. Um, we, we, we definitely need this sense of significance. We need this identity. And we need to get it from people, typically. And when we... And we need to get our identity and all sorts of other unmet relational needs from people. And if we don't, we end up 
empty, our love bank empty. We feel lonely and depressed when we're not getting these uh, unmet relational needs met. But the good news is, God does not want it to be like this for us. He doesn't want us to be relating to people like this at all. What he wants is, uh, or what at least is a good picture of what he wants, is for two people to, to come into a relationship with each other that already have a relationship with God and uh, to have God at the center of it. He wants to be at the center of our relationships. And when that's the case, uh, when, you, when you have that sort of situation going on, you're no longer concerned about your identity. Why? Because you know what God says about you and who you are from Him. It all comes from the Lord in that case. And so you're no longer trying to draw your source of, of significance or your identity from all these people and places or whatever. But instead, you're free to give out. You're no longer take, take, take. You can give. You can show people love uh, without just absolutely depleting your own love bank. You end up not needing anything from the other person because you get it from the Lord. And also then over time, the more we get to know the Lord, the better lovers we become and the more we're able to give. So that grows. It's not like you accept Christ and you become the best friend or the best relationship maker on earth and you never have any problems anymore. But over time, things do get better. You stop, you, you more and more care less about what other people are thinking about you. That certainly was an instant for me when I got saved. I still cared a heck of a lot about what people thought about me. I care still sometimes, but not nearly as much as 5, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, not even anywhere close. It just takes time. This way of living is a concept that we call other, other-centeredness. It's a, it's a hard thing to say. It's, it's just thinking of others over ourselves. It's the central theme of Christianity. It's at the heart of, of, of living as a Christian. It's just learning and experiencing God's love and then being able to give it out and share it with others. Um, you know, truly, truly loving other people is impossible without knowing God's love personally in a relationship with Him. And, and at the end of the day, love really is what makes the world go around when you think about it. It was out of love that God made us. We rebelled and we messed everything up. And out of love, God then still sent His Son on the cross to die on the cross for us and redeem us. So then it's out of love that we go and share other people, share it to other people. It's out of love that, that like Joe and I are here today teaching. It's not like we're getting paid. It's, it's simply a thing that we do out of love, right? First John four <clears throat> seven and eight says, Beloved, let's love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. The one who does not know love does not know God because God is love. And then John 13, 34 through 35 says, I'm giving you a new commandment that you love one another, just as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. See, mm-hmm. uh, excuse me. <clears throat> not only... Did God teach us to love, but commands us to love? And he commands us to love the way he loved us first. And we see that Jesus is telling these people, this is how they're going to know who you are, what you're all about, is by your love for other people. The fact that we get to love people in this way that God 
intended us to be loving people is pretty amazing. And, and, and people really do notice that. I mean, it's a huge part of why I'm even a Christian today, why I'm even probably still alive today, is because of this love that people shared with me. Prior to coming to a Bible study, I mean, I hadn't experienced love like that practically ever. And I started coming around when I was 12. So I was pretty young when this made a huge impact on me. Now, unfortunately, there's one more effect of the fall. Ecological alienation. So we just covered sociological, okay? But now ecological, got it? Uh, 317 through 18 says, Then to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree about which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. With hard labor, labor you shall eat from it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall grow for you, yet you shall eat the plants of the field. So how God set everything up at the very beginning, when he created the world, Adam and Eve time before the fall, was for us to be stewards of the earth. For us, we were meant to take care of it, to tend to it. It was entrusted to us. We were, you know, we were going to name the animals and work in the fields and love it. And that's the way it was. Uh, then the fall happened, right? And everything and everyone turned selfish, and work now sucks. If you have a job, work sucks. We all know that. Sometimes you can like your job, but you definitely don't like love your job every single day. Just there's no there's no way. And our ability to exploit the earth and all of its resources in order to take care of ourselves. Uh, predominated any sort of stewardship or taking care of the earth. You know, we are, we are no longer in harmony with it, with our environment, and no longer are we cool, benevolent rulers taking care of everything and, you know, being friends with tigers and things like that. Instead, we use up all the resources and destroy the earth as we know it. I mean, I don't even think this is up for debate, right? There's animals that have long gone extinct. More continue to go extinct all the time. They're on their way out. Animals' habitats are falling apart. We're polluting the ocean like crazy. Microplastic, blah, blah, blah. We know this is the case. We are destroying the earth, right? Not only are we destroying it, uh, but destroying the earth, but we also see uh, all sorts of new diseases happening all the time. People, they don't have to be new, but diseases run rampant on this world. People have famine, and uh, so many babies are being born with new birth defects and things like this. Like, this world is messed up. <clears throat> and and uh, this is not how it's meant to be at all. When we threw off God's leadership, we also tossed off his prote protection. But when we come into a relationship with God, uh, ecological redemption is also a result. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that everyone accepts Christ. Um, you know, uh, a ton of plastic is taken from the ocean and your diseases go away. I'm not saying that at all, okay? The world is still screwed up. This is the world we live in. This is the way it is. And it's temporary. But we are able to redeem people from this fallen environment. Uh, people's eyes can be opened to what is around us, the beauty that God has created. And we can, we can help people try to mitigate the effects of the fall, gain a new perspective on God's creation. I mean, when I first accepted Christ, the morning after I walked outside, 
I looked at the clouds, I looked at the trees, and I saw beauty like I've never seen in my life. And I lived there my whole life. But all of a sudden it was different. My eyes were opened. Now again, rejecting God's leadership, this was the worst mistake that humans have ever made to, to date. To say no to God, I'm going to do my own thing. Uh, well, our world, our lives, our relationships, they've all been wounded severely. And it takes a long time to heal such a wound. A very gradual process, but a process that is real and possible for everyone. But what needs to happen first, of course, before a true repair can occur, all of this alienation, is we need to fix our relationship with God. I mean, he's already done all the work to make this possible. It's really just up to us to choose to accept it or not. We are on the hook to make that decision. We need to invite him into our lives. Let him know that we're fallen, that we're sinful, and we can't do anything ourselves. When we believe that and we talk to him that way, he takes us with open arms and starts the repair process. Now, the most amazing part about all this is that God knew all along that he was going to have to save us. Um, Genesis 3.15. I like my translation better, sorry. I, I put the wrong one up there, but it says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. Now why I say I like mine better is because this dumbs this passage down to descendants here. When mine says seed, it's more accurate. Because this is... Um, it's complicated, I'll get to it, but, but you can see this is a little bit of veiled language even if it is the dumbed-down version. What's going on here? What's he even talking about? This is, this is God talking to Satan, okay? And he's, he's detailing for the very first time his plan for redemption. Now, this seed thing is, is, is very important, actually. To, to take that out and make it easy to understand actually loses some of, its, some of the worth of this passage. Because what this is, is a, you know, if we're talking about seed, we're usually talking about dudes, <clears throat> so it's kind of weird. But for seed to be from woman, this, this is actually a reference and a prophecy about uh, the virgin birth. That's why that's epic. In the original language, it really comes out, if you want to dig into that on your own time. <clears throat> but it's also the first messianic prophecy, first prophecy about Christ in the Bible. So it's a double whammy. And then it goes on to say this thing about the heel being bruised and the head being crushed. Which one of those injuries is worse, John? I'd say the heel. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I don't think so. I think the head being crushed, maybe, you know? The fatal one. If you get your head crushed, it's game over, right? And this is what he's saying to Satan is, hey, it's not over yet, bud. You think that you won. You got them to rebel, and that's all good and well, but... Uh, you got another thing coming. And it also reveals that he knew all along that he was going to have to rescue the human race, redeem us from this fallenness. In uh, this verse, he's revealing his whole plan. Christ is going to defeat Satan. So, real quick, why did God continue? This is just the first of uh, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of prophecies in this Bible. And why would God give this to us? Well, it says in John twenty thirty one. But these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. 
See, we have things like this revealed to us so that we may believe and have life. And God, he's just so good at loving us. He wants to redeem us. He wants us to come back into the relationship that he intended for us to have with him. He wants us to be reconciled. He wants it so much that he sent his son to die, knowing, uh, uh, and knowing that, he, that we were going to rebel, he made us in the first place. That's crazy. So whether it's theological alienation, psychological, sociological, or ecological, at the end of the day, it's alienation between us and God. We are separated or divided or whatever. And although it's our fault, you know, we inherited that from Adam, God still wants to bring us back. And so the question is, uh, if you're not sure you made the decision to accept Christ, or maybe you have, but if you're not sure, that, that would be a good place to start is figure that out. But if you haven't made a, had a, a started a relationship with Christ, does that sound like something you do want? Do you want to have a relationship with the creator of the universe? Do you want to be able to experience true love? Real true love. Be able to share that with other people. Build honest, real, and significant relationships. Does that sound good? If so, I, I, I'd recommend think about it at least. Talk to whoever brought you about it. It's huge. But people, that's the beginning of everything that we ever talk about in this fellowship group, in this church, whatever you want to call it. That's it, right? That's the beginning of it all. We don't have to talk about the beginning of the earth anymore. We're going to move on in Genesis, not tonight, and see as God, this plan that he's revealing here, see how God works it through throughout history at the very beginning of it all. So I think that's pretty epic. Uh, that's it. That's it. <laughs> Any questions? I want to add something to that first of all. Huh? Because as a home church, if anybody here is not feeling loved, please speak out and let us know because we are failing as a home church if, that is the, if that's the case. That's a good point. Very good point. Yeah. I mean, I think it's hard. If you're feeling like that, I think it's hard to do. You know, it's hard to speak up. And I think that that's what Satan wants. Satan wants you to feel like you're all alone and you're isolated and you're, you know, you're in that state. So, yeah, mm -hmm. I, I I agree, John. Yeah. Maybe it's not something that's uh, talk e to the person who brought you. easy to say, but, yeah, talk to the person that brought you, pray about it, whatever you got to do. <laughs> yeah, Satan wants you to be feeling yeah. alienated and stay that way. God, God wants the opposite. So I was thinking, to kind of go along with what John is saying, though, so the whole idea of love, right, and B, thank you for bringing up that verse where it says God is love. Like, mm -hmm. If we're not operating with, by God's definition of love being Him, because the world has taken that idea of love, and now it's really twisted. Mm -hmm and really ugly, right? Um, and it's heartbreaking because, you know, I've been hearing a lot lately, like, oh, I just don't feel loved. And it's like, well, <laughs> you know, when you look at Christ, and Christ is like, well, you're not going to feel loved until you hang with me mm -hmm. and then go. Right? 
Yeah. Then you are you will feel love. Yeah. I think but it's just like that that definition of love is just over the decades. Yeah. Especially in our culture, it's just. I think last week the um, ladies did a good job with this. That you know Satan holds that out that you should follow your feelings right. um, rather than you know what God says. God says later on in Genesis. Um, if you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? So he says the opposite. You know, if you do what I say, then you're going to feel good about yourself versus what Satan says. Satan says, go ahead and feel good about yourself, and that's all that matters, and that doesn't work. Yeah. Or God says, do what I'm telling you to do because I know how you're designed and you're created, right. and then you're going to feel good. When you're not sitting out in the freaking yard... <laughs> Isolated and alone. Isolated and alone. <laughs> Resting. You know, just thinking about yourself all the time, yeah. then you're going to start to feel better about yourself. And that is, you know, initially it does feel like, well, this is the opposite of what I want to do. Right. Put myself out there or think of somebody before myself, but it actually ends up having a, a really good effect. Yeah. So, yeah, thanks, Gary. And I think you can certainly try to love without God. And I think you can even have marginal amount of success. You know, there are certainly non-Christian families that do find a way to make it work. But at the end of the day, like, you're emulating what God intended for you to do. You were designed by him anyways. So it makes sense that you have some amount of ability to love still, however flawed, right? And... At the end of the day, when you run into issues, you got nothing to fall back on. But when you have the Lord, then you come into some issues, some relationship, you still have the Lord to go to and find the real truth in the matter, rather than you're wrong or I'm wrong and we can't figure it out, right? So I think um, when it says God is love and then we say love is only possible with the Lord, it's true. And I think there, people will argue against that sometimes, say that it's not there's no way that's true, but... One big reason that is is to find love. <laughs> uh, seriously. Good luck. A lot of people will think sex is love, <laughs> but it's not. Or money. Or money. Yeah. yeah. So if you have to define what love is before you can actually have a rational, intelligent conversation with somebody about what love is. Mm -hmm. We're dependent beings, man. We clearly need relationships. For a long time, I lived my life by feelings. That's a bad fucking idea. That's a bad True. idea. <laughs> Greed. Yeah. I mean, feelings, they, they serve some purpose, right? But it's not the, the end all be all. Well, sure. God is a very caring, loving, feeling God. Yeah. So he gave us these feelings. Well, I'm still like trying to believe that uh, God is a companion in all of us, but... Uh, What's really bothering me the most is that uh, I'm trying. I'm feeling isolated that I can't find like a female companion for me. Yeah, well, you know it doesn't. You can't equate the two things together. Whether you find a, a partner, or if that's God's will for you to do so or not, it's hard to say. But if you keep working with the Lord, He will reveal what His plan for you is over time. But you have to rely that He knows better than you what's best you know but with that too like what is it tim keller's book um is it the meaning of marriage mm -hmm. it's like about becoming the right person and not necessarily looking 
for the right person. Mm -hmm. It's about like you're mm -hmm. hard and you know coming to the table. Um, so there's like that aspect of it as well. I'm just tired of being alone all the time. That's all. I'm sorry. Any other thoughts before we close it down? Well, like, before you, oh. I'm sorry, uh, before you close down, I'd like to share something with everybody, if you don't mind. I mean, it's not to not related to like what we discussed tonight. It's something very important. How long you think it is? Uh, it won't take long. Okay. Yeah. You mind if I stand up in front of everybody? Sure. Sure. Okay. All right. Okay, now. The reason I came out tonight is that uh, that uh, today's the uh, fourth anniversary I lost my dad, so I think about him all the time. I'm figuring out ways to cope with it, but um, he's now cremated. He's now sitting on his uh, piano. He's been a pianist for a long time, and he played the piano at his wedding. That's been pretty like unique. But um, and a few weeks later, my mom and I, we were going through like uh, all his like personal belongings and everything. And then we like uh, encountered this. At first, I was going to take a wild guess that it was going to be a treasure map. <laughs> but better yet. It's a portrait of him. He was like 21 or it like 22. Yeah. It's totally original. Yeah. It was painted in 1958 by some guy named Willis. And, oh shit, it looks like you. And yes, it yeah. smells like a little moldy because it's very old. And yes, it does look like me. I get that a lot. Oh, yeah. That's really cool. Yeah, it's really cool. 1958, man. Look how young he was. Wow. Yeah, he never, like, told us anything about it. He must have forgot about it. My mom probably forgot about it. And yeah, doesn't know what, like, where it was painted and so forth. So, yeah, I thought I'd bring this out and I'd show everybody. Thanks. Oh, so, yeah. John, from the conversations that I've had with you, it sounds like you were really blessed with a really good dad. Oh, he was my superhero. I mean, uh, we've done like a lot of stuff together, and yeah. we always like uh, gone on road trips together, and gone to the casino, and also the other thing is that uh, he also goes to the uh, Oval lot. That's called Northfield Park. He's always like bet on the ponies, and he's probably gone there like just about every night. And my God, man, I don't know how he did. He will always want some money, and also like he was a beast at the craps table too. Yeah, he was a gambler. Yeah. Yeah. The reason I say that is because one of the beautiful things about the Creator God is that He gives us our dads to point us to Him. And so mm -hmm. I just want to thank you for coming and for being a part of our group. Oh, yes. Yeah. So it's I'm really so glad cool to be how part. God used your yeah. dad. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Very cool. Yeah. Yeah, cool. Thanks, man. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Were you going to say something? I just wanted to say uh, with our group that I've been hanging with this church since uh, 2013 when my brother got baptized. It's like, I just feel so loved. And to see... Uh, brethren every week and shame on me if I isolate myself from this group or I, I go to another church and I love that group too and it's like you know coming to church and uh, being with brethren it's like wow you got to feel loved you know and if you're if you're not showing up you're isolating yourself it's mm -hmm. like well why would you do that you know mm -hmm. so and shame on me when I don't show up when I got Two wonderful guys teaching. You know, I mean, I'll tell you. Uh, 
there is so, this group is so powerful with the teaching. I can't understand. We lost a few brethren that went to some other church. I don't know why you go somewhere else. I mean, or at least, you know, to leave this group and go to another church. I mean, I could go to a third church if I wanted, but I don't think I want to. I, I love my other church. I've been with them since 1974. 73, I got baptized in 74. And, uh, you know, and then a nice thing, I mean, it's kind of a sad way that I hear we're going to split up a little bit. But the nice thing is when we split up a little bit, we start meeting other people, you know, yeah. like Joe Alley, and now I'm just meeting you or learning about you a little bit tonight. But uh, yeah, so it's like I'm new. so so cool. <laughs> you know? I mean, I hate I hate us being a split up, but you know, there's blessings in that too. Even COVID gave blessings to us. You know, you got Zoom, you can you know uh, go to church or meet with people on Zoom, you know. Travel time's great. It's like 37. <laughs> the pandemic gave me money. Gave me like a, two rounds of stimulus checks. Yeah, that was yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, why don't we pray? Yeah? Yeah. Does someone want to? Out there? Yeah, I'll do it. I thank you, Lord, that you love us. Okay. That uh, <laughs> you, you, knowing how we would be, you love us still. Creation, and you made us, and you um, you came and died for us, and we glorify your name because you're so good. Lord, I thank you that you um, you gave us this this word of yours that we could see insight into how you're operating and how we're operating, and um, insight into into your character. And that's really the thing that that's at stake is what do we think about the character of God. Um, and I do thank you for giving us your word mm -hmm. to reveal your character to us. And, and uh, uh, I just pray that as we get into your word, your word, we let your word get into our hearts too. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Father, I just want to thank you too that uh, we are a part of your creation. And uh, you continue to let us be a part of that. Uh, continue to guide each one of us and uh, give us the ability to love one another and uh, continue to um, just be a part of each other's lives, Father, to love one another, to help each other, to encourage one another, and uh, continue just to bring people into your kingdom. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Jesus, the more people I talk to that don't know you, I, I just, I, it blows me away. Um, the, the, the way you have opened up a way for us to have authentic, royal relationships. And that is such an amazing treasure in this culture. And so there's, our culture is starving for it and it doesn't even know it. It's really heartbreaking, Lord. So I'm just really grateful that, um, you know, with, with you, it's safe. It's safe for us to be able to go and open up our hearts to other people and love other people. And I'm, I just, I still don't understand why you allow me to do that. But I'm Amen. 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 Amen.